You know, um, we started this collection last week entitled uh, Fingerprint, and we are going verse by verse through the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And we're doing this for the reason to find out who our God is, who our Creator is, because there is so much to be learned in that first chapter as God begins to unfold creation. As He begins to create and and bring things into life, we begin to understand that that there are core characteristics, there are traits that you discover in those days of creation that run through the entire Scripture, that run through the entire Bible. Last week, as we began, we didn't even get to the first day. We started in the overture. The earth was covered with darkness. It was a globe of water. Uh, we, dis- we talked a little bit of why that was chaotic, why it was darkness, It was not God's intention. It was a mess. And if any of us would have looked at that project, most of us, I think, if not all of us, would have said, you know what, I'll just move on. I'll go to another planet. I'll I'll just start over there. If most people would look at any headline today, this morning, tomorrow, yesterday, seeing what's going on in the world, most of us would say it's such a mess I'm just, I I can't deal with it. I'm going to give up. If we look in the mirror and we see ourselves in reality, it's easy for us to say, gosh, I'm such a mess. I'm not sure why anyone, much less God, would visit me or spend any time with me. And yet in those opening scriptures, those opening verses, the overture to the entire existence of life as we know it, the thing that we discover is that the God of this universe is willing to hover in messes because he sees miracles. He sees something beyond what he is viewing at the moment. He sees potential and possibility. Otherwise, none of us would be sitting here right now. God looked at humanity and he said, I see some great potential, not so much in them, but me in them. I see that I can, this, this mess of humanity, and yet from the, the creator of the entire universe came in the person of Jesus Christ and hovered with us, and he still hovers in the power of the Holy Spirit And this is the imprint of the unique creator in which we know and believe and follow. We have a God that hovers. We now find ourselves on day one of creation. I've given a lot of thought to this day of creation along the years. And I thought here is a God, a creator, who is able to, as we saw last week, ex nihilo. That means create something out of nothing. That is a phenomenon, by the way, that no matter how hard you try, the rest of your life, you can't. No matter how brilliant you are, whatever you scored on the SAT, if you got the perfect score, or your IQ is as as high as uh, uh, anybody else in the world, you cannot 
bara, which is the Hebrew word for ex nihilo, creates something from nothing. So as you look at this day, I'm thinking of a creator who has the power of ex nihilo, creating something out of nothing, that has at his dispense, at his, his fingertips, power. And he could have created this existence by doing anything. He could have waved his mighty arm, whoosh, and he could have even said, whoosh, and then things would have come into existence. He could have done a kung fu kick, ha, and all of a sudden, things came into existence. He could have done anything, you understand. He had options, more options than we have. Even if he had one option, there was more options than we have to do ex nihilo. And yet God begins the universe by speaking. The power of God's word, I tell you, has not diminished from the first molecule on the first day of creation. God begins, and I'll remind you that there is darkness in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, if you want to follow along with these familiar words. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God, could you keep it a little more succinct for us? I mean, could you brief it up a little bit? I mean, see, there's no evolution in between the first phrase and the second phrase. Like God said there was light and it just kind of had to evolve and develop. Or God said there had to be light and they had to wait around for a little bit. No, God said, let there be light and there was light. I mean, it happened that fast. Let there be light and there was light. I mean, it was no no pause. Like, Because if I said it, you know, we'll try it tonight when you go to bed. Let there be light. And you'll be waiting for a long, long time. God's power in his word is automatic, powerful, life-changing. When the word of God comes to us, we're told that it's quick, it's sharp. I promote to you that it has never lost its power from day one. Now, that is a message, and I believe that the message that we need to hear today is more appropriate for this generation right here today than it was even 10 years ago. Because there's something happening, as we'll see today, in our generation that we need those that say, I believe that this word was breathed by the power of God. Now, it was breathed by the power of the Holy Spirit through human vessels, just like I'm standing up here now praying that the Holy Spirit will speak through me. I'm just a human ball of mess myself. It's not that. People say, well, I don't understand how God could breathe and write a perfect word out of human beings. Neither can I. Neither can I understand how God could say, let there be light, and there was light. If you can understand either of those things, I think they give you an honorary doctorate degree from a seminary somewhere. It's just beyond our minds. I'll tell you why. I'll remind you that we as human beings are limited to the dimension of time and space and matter. And when it comes to those things that are outside that dimension, it's very challenging for us as human beings 
to wrap our minds around it. You see, God says, look, when I'm saying this, I'm telling you I'm in a very, very different dimension. Now watch. On day one, when God says, let there be light, I'll remind you that it was not day two or day three. It was not until day four that God created the sun. You see, we're not talking about the sun here. We're not talking about the moon reflecting the light of the sun. We're not talking about stars. We're talking about God said, let there be light. You say, well, what is that? You see, because light, it involves time. It involves space. It involves matter. It's time. We say it's at the speed of light. I was reading this this past week, and I thought, let me try to deliver this to you, that if you travel, if you can travel faster than the speed of light and look backwards, you'll see yourself in... I'm like, nah, forget it. I can't even understand it. i got to stick to stuff I know. The trouble cleft here is... No, I'm kidding. It's, it's beyond our understanding. Scientists still wrestle with what light is. It's time. It's matter. There's photons involved. It's space. There's light waves involved. And if you think you can figure it out, I promise you, you can't. You remember in Job where Job was surrounded in his demise by three know-it-alls. And at the end of that time, God showed up and he says, okay, since you know it all, I got a questionnaire for you. And as he began, he, he said something like this. Hey, guys, can you tell me this? What is the way to the abode of light? I'm like, where is the house of light? Um, and by the way, where does darkness reside? Can you tell me, can you take me to their places? Do you know the paths to their address, to their dwellings? And I like his attitude here because he gets a little smart aleck. God's like, surely you know, for you were already born when it was created. I mean, you, you guys got the picture. You have lived so many years. You know it all. I love that about God. I'm telling you, I've told you before, don't fall for the image of Jesus in all the movies that we see that he's soft-spoken with a British accent. That's not the way it rolls. There's sometimes that God will get up on your face like, hey, dude, you think you know so much? Let's talk about the infraction of light and where it might abide. Okay, I know nothing. That's where you come to. I know nothing. And God is saying, exactly, because you're in a different dimension than I am. I'm, you look at Job and you say, gee, you, you can't understand it. In fact, last week we looked at two words, bara and asa in Hebrew. Bara means creating something from nothing. None of us have ever or will ever do bara. We can't create anything from nothing. The other one is asa, which we make. We do that all the time. I made a, a waffle this morning. I made a sandwich this morning. I made Brussels sprouts this morning. Whatever you made this morning, you made something out of something. When God says, are you ready? Let there be light. The words create or make, he didn't use either. He didn't create light. The word literally means that he is and became light to this dark place. I'll see you next week. That's all I can handle. You think, man, I'm not sure I can wrap my hand, my 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 head around that. Exactly. 
Do you remember when Moses went to the top of the mountain and he was before God and when he came down, his face was glowing because not because he'd been in front of the sun. Otherwise, he would have turned red and sunburned. He was glowing because the power of God who is light, who had become light, was, and it freaked him out. They had to put a ski mask on, a veil, so to speak, because people were, ah, oh, your face is like Casper the ghost, and they couldn't handle it. The apostle Paul, when he was meeting Christ and encountering him, walked, and as you remember, the light of Christ was so bright that he blinded him. I'm reminded as we're in the first chapter of the book of the, of Genesis in the Bible, the very last verse ties us in. Watch, Revelation 22. In heaven there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Psalm 104, verse 2. He wraps, God wraps himself in light as with a garment. First John 1. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, watch, and there is a little darkness. No, a lot of darkness, a smidge of darkness, an ounce, a snooch, a skidge, whatever you want to say. No, there is no darkness in him. And he even says, let me tell you all again, at all, it's important. You see, in God, he is absolute purity. Impossible for our minds to understand. Absolute light with not any darkness whatsoever. Now on this first day, God does something that His trait, His core is revealed. And it is something, it is a trait that you see traced through every encounter Every page of the scripture. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. God saw the light, that the light was good. And here it is. And he separated the light from the darkness. He did not blend them. He did not smudge them. He did not Photoshop them. He separated light from darkness. God called the light day. And he called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning and it was the first day. Now, in the first three days of creation, there is separation going on, as we'll see each week. In this day, God does something that he never stops doing. And that's making a distinction between light and darkness. Some of you know where I'm going. In this generation that we live in now. That distinction between light and darkness is getting awful fuzzy. That distinction and separation is getting quite blurred. And God is saying to us, I'm telling you, I believe as a trait of God who is light, that he's saying, don't ever stop distinguishing between light and dark very clearly. People from time to time ask me, Steve, why is it that you believe in God? And I, I say to them, here's the deal. Before I became a Christian, I believed in God. Shocker. Before I became a Christian, 
I believed in Jesus. That means I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose again. I believe that he was the savior of the world. But I had still not personally embraced it in my faith. I still lived in a place where Christ had not come into my life, but I believed it in my head. I intellectually agreed with it. I believed that there was a God. If you had interviewed me in the height of my uh, uh, party animal life, I would, and you said, do you believe in God? Absolutely. Why is that? Do you believe in God? Well, for me, my logic, I just look around in creation. And I'm like, man, I, I just, I'm a dummy, but I don't see how any of this could come to, 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 together in the big shebang, the shebang theory. I, 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 don't, I don't get how that would work. So, you know, even as a non-believer, I at least had enough horse sense to think I, 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 I can see some real intelligent design. That's the buzzword these days. But it's not that. Here's the thing for years and years and years that have driven me to believe that there is a God. And it's this, the tension between light and darkness. Paul said it well. Why is it that this tension, that I want to do the things I want to do, and yet I can't do them? Why is it the things I don't want to do, doggone it. That's in there if you look closely. Doggone it, why do I do it? This tension, read the newspaper this afternoon, tomorrow, it doesn't matter, of the tension of evil and good in this world. You tell me, how does that evolve? How does evil evolve? I mean, I get the logic of of like, okay, this fish turned into a, a monkey and a kangaroo and all that. I mean, I don't believe it. I don't see it. There's a lot of gaping holes in it and all that jazz. But I'm telling you, when you see the tension between, I'm like, that is proof that there is a supernatural world and something is going on. I believe that God is laying a foundation here for us and saying, in this lifetime, there will be a distinct difference between light and darkness. And it represents for us in this lifetime choices, choices. I would go so far to say that when we read this, that God is showing us that there are distinct choices between light and darkness. And in my thinking, as I look at the bigger picture, I believe that there are three distinct intersections in life where there there are very clear moments of choice and possibility on both ends of light and darkness. We begin with the first one. The first one is our moment of faith in Christ. The life that we live before Christ compared to the life that we live after Christ. I'll remind you that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we are told that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. In this way, watch. Death and darkness came to all people because good news, all of us have sinned. Why is that good news? Because I'm not better than you are and you're not better than I am. I like that. We're on an even plane and what happened in the garden that day is beyond our human comprehension. But we are told that Adam, when he sinned, his spirit died. And when people are in death, like we're told here, it's darkness. And Christ comes along and says, look, 
You're living in darkness, but I am offering you something else. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am, watch, the light of the world. Whoever follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Colossians chapter 1, for he has rescued us, Christ has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Look, there is no gray when it comes to salvation. You see, gray is hip these days. I don't know if you knew it. Gray is the new black, as they would say. Gray says this, Jesus was a great guy. And so was Muhammad. And so was Buddha. And so was this. And I'm cool because I got a mixture of all. I'm gray. See? And people around would say, that's cool, dude. You're gray. Or something like that. You know what I mean. It's when Jesus says, look, you are either in the domain, the dominion of darkness, or you're in light. There is a distinction with nothing in between. People sometimes say, are you a Christian? Well, I'm kind of a Christian. That's kind of like saying, are you wearing pants? Well, kind of. Well, either you are, hopefully, or you're not. There's not kind of wearing pants. Here's the deal. In every intersection, don't miss it. The separation that happened on day one, the separation of light and darkness that Christ is talking about is for this reason, that God becomes known in the world. Don't miss it. You remember Paul wrote to us in Ephesians 2 and he said, look, it's by grace that you're saved. It's faith. It's not works. It's not your effort. It's not what you've done. It's by grace that you've been saved. So what? So that no person can boast and take the credit. Like we're in heaven like, oh yeah, I gave to the Red Cross. I'm in. God's saying, dude, shut up. You're not here because of what you've done. I get the credit. I get the fingerprint. I get the, the recognition. Watch this. First, Second Corinthians chapter 4 takes us all the way back to this first day of creation. For God, who said, let there be light, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Watch. But we have this treasure, let me break it down for you, this light of God in jars of clay, our bodies. So we have this light in these jars of clay and these bodies. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Pow! Fingerprint. Man, I've noticed a change in your life. Oh, yeah, trust me. I tried. I'm the guy that was in the self-help section down at Barnes & Noble. Oh, I tried for many years. Don't accredit it to me. The light that you see comes from a creator who says, let there be light. It's his fingerprint, not mine. The only fingerprint you're going to find are mine in the self-help books at Barnes & Noble. You remember the blind man 
that came to Christ. Christ healed him. The religious folks of the day came and said, okay, is it, was it this guy's parents who sinned? Because they were kind of going back in the textbook. Or is it this guy that blew it? Is that why he's blind? Jesus answers them this way, John 9. Neither this man, this blind man who had been healed, nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, period. That's why he saved you. So that the fingerprint of God will be evident in this world. As long as at his day, Jesus said, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I have two boys, most of you know, eight and nine. In an appropriate manner, I am pressing them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will never coerce them. I have one boy that's receptive and one that's not. I wait. I press. I wait. I talk. I wait. I model. I wait. I beg God. I beg God. I'll tell you why. It's not so he'll believe like dad. It's not so that we'll have the same worldview. It's because my sons will live the rest of their life in the very clear and distinct dominion of darkness if they do not cross over to light. There is no Sunday school version of it. There is no gray. Light, darkness from day one. No distinction. No one is kind of in. No one is kind of in the light. Jesus to Paul and to us and to me as a dad. Steve, I'm sending you to open those boys' eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me and the light of Christ. There is no gray, and don't let anyone in this generation fool you. The very first clear distinction of light and darkness in this world is our salvation. Now, once we become Christians, we think, whoo, got it made. Nope, God's not letting up. Bad news. God says these words in Ephesians. He says this, Ephesians chapter 5. For you were once darkness. All of you believers, before you point a finger or throw a stone at anyone else because you can't believe what they're saying at work. Oh, you mean kind of like what you used to say. You once were darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of light. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The first intersection is our salvation. Light, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of light. 
The second intersection of the fancy word is our sanctification, which means our walk with God of holiness and purity. Not by our own effort, but our own rhythm with God so that His Spirit can work in us for victory, for, uh, for the uh, plus in the win column, to be in rhythm with Him so that we can actually live out as children of light who we are. Now, this is where it gets a little rough. If you want to leave, I'm going to say a short prayer. Just kidding. If you want to, to think that the first one was tough, I'm telling you this one gets a little rougher. Watch. When we begin to talk about the distinction between darkness and light and the separation of darkness and light, Christians can easily and subtly shift over to a judgmental mode if you're not careful. We can begin to point our fingers at those who still live in the kingdom of darkness, forgetting that we were there ourselves. We can point our finger to other human struggles, and yet as children of light like Paul, we still have our own. Be careful. Having said that, as children of light, as believers in Christ, once we've passed the benchmark of salvation, God says this to us, hold the line. You've got to hold the line and not gray and blur the lines. I'm telling you, this week, in the last five days, if you read the headlines, here are just some in one week of things that happened. The FDA approved, by the way, 15-year-olds being able to get the morning after pill. In California... This week, it was approved that 12-year-olds can order birth control uh, online for free. It was this week that an NBA star came out and said, I'm coming out of the closet and I'm a homosexual, which is his, entirely his right to do whatever he wants. And he got a call from the highest office of the country congratulating him. Meanwhile, an ESPN commentator said, you know what, this, this basketball player and I are good friends. No condemnation, none whatsoever. We hang out together. We've had lunch together. We've had some good laughs together. We're, we're really great friends. But I got to tell you, from my point of view, because I'm a Christian, I must tell you that even though I love him, I must say that homosexuality, and then he included heterosexual sex outside of marriage is not in the design of God, and he used the S word. It is sin. The network steps up and says, we apologize for his behavior. You see, we're living in a day and age where it's inappropriate to separate darkness from light. We're living in a day and age. Now, I do, I do a lot of uh, Photoshop and graphic stuff from here, here and there. And in Photoshop and in graphic designs, you have C-Y-M-K. They stand for different colors, many of you might know. And the K is for black. If, for example, example you have 100% K, it's total black, and 0% uh, K, you have uh, white, complete white. 
If you have one, if you type in one on the K, you'll get slightly gray. If you type in 10, like our logo, there's red, there's dark gray, and there's light gray. There's red, there's 77 gray, and there's 44 gray. I use it all the time. When God said to us, you, I have designed you to have sexual relationship within a marriage, there is not 1% K. No gray. We pick on the homosexual world because it's an easy target. I said, let's bring it into the church of how many Christians say, you know what, we're living together, but hey, you know, uh, uh, everybody does it. Okay, well, let's make it gray. Let's type in 50, boo, and everybody's happy. So I read on Facebook, I, I read someone says, well, I'm a Christian, and for the NBA player that came out as a homosexual, I want him to know that I approach everyone with love because Christ loves everyone. And he got applauded like, wow, why don't Christians be like this? Can I say to you, this has nothing to do with love. I have, I'm guessing, more homosexual friends and close friends than the vast majority of this room. I'm, I have mu- I'm in music a lot. I went to music schools, music theater, close friends for years and years and years. I love them. I love them enough to be clear with them that God has distinguished between light and darkness. Because if I don't, I really don't love them. You can take all the love fuzzy language and kick it out the door. Well, it's very effective. Kick it out the door. (laughs) If you think you can say that there's gray, you're not loving them because they won't be attracted to the light if they think they're living in it. This morning, I get up very early on Sunday mornings. And I almost fell out of my chair. Because I go to Fox News, CNN News. And CNN News splattered across the deal was this article. And the article title is, When Christians become a hated minority. It begins like this, if you'll allow me to read. Peter Sprigg is associated with the Family Research Council. When Peter Sprigg speaks publicly about his opposition to homosexuality, something odd often happens. During his speeches, people raise their hands to challenge his assertion that the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin. But no Christians speak out to defend him. But after the meeting is over, Christians will come over to talk to me and whisper in my ear, I agree with everything you said. We've heard a lot of the down low, uh, of the down low uh, secretive gay person who keeps his or her sexual identity secret for fear of public scorn. But Sprigg and other evangelicals say some changing attitudes towards homosexuality have created a new victim, the closet Christian who believes the Bible condemns homosexuality but will not say so publicly for fear of being labeled as a hateful bigot. One more. In the current culture... 
it takes more courage for someone like this ESPN guy to speak out than for someone like the NBA player to come out. Now, carefully, I tell you, before we go pointing a finger at the homosexual community, I will remind you that Ephesians, we are told, that among you Christians there should not be a hint of sexual immorality, a hint, not even one in the K, a hint of sexual immorality, pornography, which is rampant in men in the church, immorality, affairs, and finally Paul says, greed. You mean the 97% of evangelicals who have to keep nine, they can't hold on to 90% of what they have and give God 10? You're talking about those? Well, forget the homosexuals. We got enough to talk about right here. Ouch. Yikes. God said, hey, guys. Whatever your excuses are, if you think, if you regard pornography as art, if you think you've worked hard for what you have, therefore it's yours, whatever those human justifications, God said, let there be light, and He separates the light from darkness. We ourselves, come on, let's be honest, we ourselves have to say, be careful that we're not typing in 50 and the K. I really am a nice person. (laughs) This is the verdict Jesus said in John 3. That light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly, watch, that what he has done has been done through God. Pow! Fingerprint. You see, be real, real careful in this kind of conversation. There are people in this church who were adulterers and who are no longer. And everybody says... Only God could do that. There are people in this church who are homosexuals who are now living a straight life. Only God could do that. Fingerprint. See, this is the end goal. The end goal for us to separate light from darkness is not to make the guy in the next cubicle feel like a schmuck. That is not the passion of God's heart. It is to say that there is a God of light that will flood your soul and flood your mind and change you and you will know without a shadow of a doubt that it is God who sanctifies and makes us who we are. There are people, Christians, who are in this room is like, man, I'm holding on to them, everything I own and I'm going to give God 3%. And, and God transformed, and now they're generous, and now they're giving as, and understanding. You want to know who that is? I'm going to point them out. You ready? And here it goes. Pow! As a Christian pastor, 
I had an issue with the evilness, the darkness of money years ago. If you want to make it all like we're sinners. Now a lot of you are like, oh, I'm feeling a lot better about this now. Breaking news, Christian pastors struggle. The Apostle Paul struggled. We all struggle. And then we go to God and say, God, I'm not getting this right, man. I'm not getting it right. I'm I'm coming into the light. I'm going to make it visible. And then people that know you real close... You go to your wife and say, man, I've been owning it all, haven't I? And they turn to you and like, what have you been smoking? And then they say, only God. Pow! How will people know and see the fingerprint of God if we blend light and dark? They can't. The most loving courageous thing that you can do in a compassionate way to the people that live in the cubicle next to you is say, I love you. Can we make that a given? But I'm telling you the darkness in which you're living is empty. The darkness in which you're living is not what God intended. There is a light, a life of light that is absolutely powerful. That is our message to the world. I saw a picture in my kids' devos, as they call them in in 360 Kids. It looks kind of like this. Is that one or two zebras? Some of you are so nice. Oh, it's a zebra. (laughs) This is how our culture looks. Black and white blended. And God is saying, Nobody gets to know who I am like that. Finally, I would say to you, that God makes a distinction between light and darkness in our life before and after Christ. He makes a distinction of light and darkness in the light that, the life that we live as believers, as children of light. And yet there is one more separation of light and darkness. And I think you would agree with me, this is not a game. At the end of time, there will be the most distinct separation of light and darkness. And it will not be temporary. It will be permanent. It's a good way to say eternity. It's a Christianese word, Christian word. It's a Bible word, but it's permanent. John chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. The subjects of the kingdom of, of darkness will be thrown outside. Into the darkness. Where there will be weeping. And gnashing of teeth. I cannot describe to you what heaven looks like, feels like, smells like. Neither 
can I describe to you? Listen carefully. For those that see themselves as gray, listen carefully. I cannot humanly describe to you what permanent darkness will be like. I can't. But it is serious. It is real. It is forever. I beg you. I literally beg you. Do not fool around. You see, I was a, I was a churchgoer. Think about it. For over 20 years. Headed toward permanent darkness. Don't think for a second. That because you're sitting in a church. That's the goal. On the other hand. In Revelation chapter 21, the city of heaven does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. They're like many flashlights to God. For the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb of God, Christ, is its lamp. Watch, nothing, zero, impure will enter it ever, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. At this point, most of us should be going, uh-oh, that's Greek for, oh my goodness. Nobody. Have you got an ounce of sin in your life not getting in? Have you got 1% of K in your life if K is sin not getting in at all? Nothing impure. That includes you and me. Except Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, God. And here's the reason why. With all of our junk and impurity and mess and sin and homosexuality and heterosexuality and pornography and greed, God says, it's not that. It's the blood of Christ that I'm going to make you pure. And He takes our darkness And he turns it into light. Are you trying to get into heaven? Give up. Good news. Give up. Are you hoping you're good enough? You're not. And neither am I. Christ says, here's the answer. Oh, give up. Give up, sinner. And come to the Savior. Come to the one, the only one. So that in heaven, when Chip, I look in the eye and we're like, Wow, we're here. I mean, I know your mess. You know mine. And we're going to say one thing and one thing only. Only God. Pow! Fingerprint. You see, God's fingerprints are not only in earth. They're in heaven. They're in heaven. The greatest gift that you can give someone is the truth. Don't ever think otherwise. Watered down truth is not love. I don't care what you post on Facebook. Blending light and darkness to someone's demise. You tell me if that's love. And you may be thinking, dude, it's just me. It's just little old me in my cubicle or my workspace or my house in my neighborhood. May I remind you that the power of God in you 
is the light that he shined in his heart is so powerful. It's not about you. Now, my wife, I'll close with this. My wife is the lightest sleeper I, I, I think there is in, human, in the human race. When I scratch my head when she's sleeping and we're together, it goes something like this. Because if I scratch regularly, like, out of a dead sleep. I mean, you could be doing like backflips on the bed when I'm sleeping. Dude, I ain't waking up. If the house is on fire, it's going to the ground. I'm telling you. <laughs> so in our room, you know, we got like an air circulating thing in my bob, and it's got a little light on it. Well, we got to put a Band-Aid on. Right? There cannot be a scooch of light in the room. We got a DVD player. I'd like to tell you there's tape over the light. It's a dirty sock. I'm just being honest. There's a sock draped right across the old DVD player. Because the principle is this. Watch. If you think God can't use you to shine the light, I'll remind you that in the darkest room, only a little light has a lot of power. Watch, because we've heard that before, right? Watch this. Behind that cabinet, there's a dark room, a very dark room. Watch. It doesn't work the other way around. In this light, this room of light, if I open that door, the darkness doesn't penetrate this room. The light that God has breathed into you does not diminish in a world that is darkening, you have never lost the power from day one. The power that God said, let there be light, is the same light that is in you. God said it so clearly in Psalm 119. The entrance of your words give light. It's how he started the whole thing. And it's all you have to do is say, let there be light and rest in the power of God's light. Not in your words, not in your smartness, not in your eloquence, not in your presentation, but in the light that lies within you. So God calls us to three words in this culture that's dimming quickly. Let there be light. That's four, actually. Sorry. <laughs> That was going to be so effective. <laughs> Let be light. I'm changing it. <laughs> Let's pray. That's two words. Father, what a powerful experience. It is to have been transferred, God, from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. No less miraculous than when you spoke on day one, let there be light, and there was light. There are those sitting in this room that would think, oh, not me. 
you have no idea how bad I am. And God would speak, oh, let there be light, and there will be light. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that it is not our works. Thank you that it is the power of your word and your Holy Spirit that changes us from darkness to light with no gray in between. Thank you, God, that you distinguished and separated light from darkness on day one and you've never stopped. I pray, God, today for your church in a world that becomes increasingly challenging to speak truth and distinguish between darkness and light. I pray, first of all, God, we never lose our compassion. We never lose our love in the message. But I also pray, God, that we understand that true love is truth. And that if we never hold out the light of Christ, but we make everything gray, people will not know what true light is. Oh God, embed that into our motives. I pray, God, you'll embed courage in the church of this generation that regardless of consequence, God, and the appropriate time, of course, we speak truth, and we too separate darkness from light. I pray, God, for, for your church, for this church, that we examine ourselves before we point a finger. I pray, God, that we'll live as children of light. Not in our own power, but in our surrender. Finally, God, I pray for someone here who is stirred, disturbed, unsettled, that they find themselves outside of your light, who have never crossed a line of faith to transition from an intellectual agreement and understanding of Jesus Christ to one that would embrace the light of the world, completely, 100% relying on Christ and His sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and the power of the Holy Spirit who rose Christ from the dead to come and enter into their life so that they are solidly and distinctly in the kingdom of heaven, I pray, God, for them, for the courage and the humility to embrace Jesus as their Savior. As we are still in prayer, from time to time, I like to pause in a private moment. I'm asking that you remain in prayer, but there are moments where an opportunity to respond to Christ privately and before Him is appropriate. And certainly, when we think of this message of kingdom of darkness and kingdom of light and permanent 
position in heaven, permanent darkness. This is an appropriate moment for as in we are in prayer to ask in this room if there is anyone who would say, I am unconvinced that I am in the light of Christ. And today, by just privately lifting my hand, I am saying to God, I want to embrace Christ. I want to follow Christ. I've never done that before. In the privacy of this moment, is there anyone that would slip their hand up and say, that's me. I don't want to go another moment in this lifetime. Thank you. I see, I see your hand. Thank you. You can put it down. Is there anyone else that would say, today, I've got to embrace Christ. Thank you. I, I, thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Is there anyone else that would say, I want Christ today? We'll wait just momentarily as we're praying together. Oh, God, this is not a game. This is not coercion. This is reality. Oh, God, I want Christ. I want Christ today. Father, thank you for this church, for those that are, that are following you, walking with you. Thank you, God, for those sitting in this room that have confessed, God, I need you. I need Christ. I've been trying this on my own. And I pray, God, that you're, by the miracle of the Holy Spirit, that they will be born a second time and move from darkness into light. And, God, we will all stand back and see your fingerprint, and we will say together, only God, only God. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.